0: Hi, I'm
1: Sonia.
0: I'm Sapna, and this is Loudmouth
1: Mouth Loki's.
0: It's been about two months since the murder of George Floyd on May 25th. Black Lives Matter has been around since Trayvon Martin was murdered and his murderer was acquitted. But we've seen Black Lives Matter gain a huge uptake in our social media and across the world, actually, since George Floyd was murdered. People are still marching. We've seen call to action such as ACAB, defund the police. But as time goes on, we're starting to see less and less on social media. But it's important to remember that Black Lives Matter is not a moment. It's a movement.
1: Today, we're really excited to get this opportunity to speak to you all about the Black Lives Matter movement and how South Asian American communities and South Asian communities in general must play such a big role and how we must stand in solidarity. We must speak in our own communities and break our silence. And before we get into this episode, we just want to preface that a lot of what we're saying is anecdotal or based on our own research. And by no means are we experts in any way. Um, but I just wanted to make that clear. And if you're looking for more resources, and Minaj, who we are very ardent fans of, um, put out a really great video on YouTube called We Cannot Stay Silent about George Floyd and Trevor Noah, who we're also a huge fan of, um, put out a series of great videos, um, one of which was about defunding the police specifically and I found that to be really helpful. Um, So definitely check those two out and please email us or DM us on Instagram if you want any more resources and we're more than happy to provide those um, for you.
0: Absolutely, and you know, this has been a conversation that we have had with each other and with you, our listeners and our followers on Instagram for quite some time now. Um, at the beginning of June, quite recently after George Floyd was murdered, we saw that there was a lack of dialogue surrounding Black Lives Matter within South Asian communities. And we knew that that was not something that was that we would stand for, and we knew that there needed to be information that was put out into the South Asian community that would help folks like us communicate these ideas with the generation above us. Because as we all know, speaking to our parents about, I guess, quote unquote, radical issues is difficult, especially as a South Asian. and several people had come to us asking, you know, I want to talk about Black Lives Matter to my parents, but I don't know how to do it.
1: Yeah, no, totally. And so Sonia brought up a big point like that. It's always so hard to do that. And because we saw such like a gap in social media, um, specifically where we stand, we we really wanted to go forward and make um, some resources that people would find helpful. So. Uh, we went ahead. You can check them out on Instagram. We we just compiled some resources we thought were helpful, or some facts that people should know about the Black Lives Matter movement and how South Asian American communities or South Asian communities play a role in this movement as well. Um, and so we had an interesting experience posting about this um, because we found that there was kind of a gap um, in this sort of information on social media. Our posts that we made. Um, That was called South Asian guide to speaking to your family about anti-blackness ended up kind of going viral Um, And that was a really interesting experience for us because for the first time um, We saw that we were moving beyond the echo chamber uh, that social media can sometimes turn into and For this reason um, we started coming into contact with more people who disagreed with what we said and so this was our first experience like I don't want to say hate comments but just in general people disagreeing with us and that's kind of why we wanted to go ahead um, put more information out there about BLM and how um, the South Asian American experience like must also focus on um, BLM and you know we got some comments about you know violent protests are bad and my family uh, doesn't like um, how all of these riots become really, um, dangerous and, and loud, and, you know, some other people were saying, why are you talking about this issue? There are so many other issues you guys can focus on. Um, we yeah, had someone I had, Yeah, uh, I had a, I had an thing. auntie,
0: I had an auntie respond to our South Asian guide to anti-blackness within the community, um, and her response was, you know, great post, but why aren't you talking about everything going on in India? And in that brief exchange called me Hindu phobic um, because we weren't addressing issues in India at the current moment. Um, and Sapna said it, I think Supna said it very, very well, you know, our goal is not to talk to people not to talk only to the people who agree with us Mm -hmm. because if we continue to talk to people within our bubble within our circle who don't have differing
1: opinions how can we grow exactly and and i found this too it's all of my friends who follow me on social media i typically post very political things so everyone in my circle knows that and and i don't think any of the things that i was sharing were particularly new Um, to the folks in my social media or whatever. So that's why I think it was exciting and kind of frightening at the same time to move beyond the echo chamber with these posts. And we wanted to, once again, elaborate um, what we thought um, and our experience with compiling this and some of the resources we found. And we really wanted to make this an episode and share that with you all. Yeah.
0: So our first you know post was specifically about anti-blackness within the south asian community and how to talk about anti-blackness with your family whether that be your immediate you know parents guardians with your siblings with your aunts and uncles via whatsapp whatever it was we recognized that it was a difficult conversation but there is inherently so much anti-blackness within south asian communities and to ignore that would be we'd be remiss to not have that conversation um and so you know we we started off by addressing you know there were hundreds of thousands of protests going around the world and they're still going on which i think is amazing and they should Mm -hmm. continue to keep going you know this is a movement for people's lives and Mm. it's it's heartwarming to see that momentum. So in our first post, we talk about anti-blackness within the South Asian community. You know, we'd be remiss to not acknowledge the fact that anti-blackness is so pervasive in the South Asian community. Um, racism is so pervasive in the South Asian community. Totally. And yeah. And so we, you know, at the beginning of our post, we said, you know, start by talking about the protests with your family and ask them what their thoughts are. Mm-hmm. And we know more often than not, that's going to shift over to why is violence being used? You know, I su- I've heard, th- I heard this so many times in the beginning, um, right when the protest started, where it was like, I support Black Lives Matter, but I don't support them being violent. And yeah. I thought that was, that was really frustrating to respond to And so we kind of are like, okay, how do you respond to this when you're talking to your parents? And it was, you know, go back to the root of the issue. Why are people angry to begin with? Black and indigenous and people of color are being murdered by an institution that is quote unquote supposed to protect them. And that is not happening.
1: Yeah. And I think we went on to talk about this a little bit more in our in our second post that we put out, but a, a big part of this is racism has been happening for a really long time. And, you know, with the pandemic and, and just countless number of people whose lives are being taken away mercilessly at the hands of cops, it's ridiculous and it's frustrating and people are, are fed up with it. And so I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar put out a really good piece about how, Um, racism has always been happening and you know now that we have greater access to body cameras or or at least footage or um, like people posting on social media and how those things go around really quickly I I think that was a a good thing for us all to remember um, that you know it's not like police brutality has gone up it's always been this bad Um, it's just now people are paying more attention to it because there is tangible evidence of it um, which is frustrating and it's own sense because it's like why do we need to see videos of people being killed or people being um, hurt by police officers to recognize that this is an issue Um, but that aside I think it's important for us to recognize you know violence is being used because peaceful protests haven't worked Um, and historically like people are getting really really sick of it and that's why you're seeing it Uptake of all these people holding out this momentum. People are still marching, and it's August now, you know. So I'm just wanting to emphasize once again like, this is not a moment right now. This is a movement. And I think the more we recognize this, the more we can keep pushing forward.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we need to talk about how South Asians have benefited from anti Black rhetoric. You know, we as a community have not only benefited from the civil rights movement you know from martin luther king from the immigration act from all of these momentous revolutionary changes in this country's history that were on the backs of black folk and to not recognize that And to not stand in solidarity with Black folks is wrong, it's ignorant, and Mm -hmm. it completely denies everything that they did that we're benefiting off of. But also, you know, we have people will always talk about the model minority myth, especially in, you know, Asian cultures. But to really understand what that means, you know, white America has perpetuated a narrative that Asians are the model minority, and they've achieved success due to their hard work. Mm -hmm. You know, there is a different stereotype perpetuated for Asians in this country and Black people in this country, and this drives a wedge between Asian and Black Americans, and we saw this years and years and years ago in, take for example, New York, with uh, Korean immigrants and Black folks who
1: lived in the same neighborhoods. Um, yep. same in LA. It's, it's just like, it's so easy to use these groups' minority status and then just put, pit them against each other. That's, mm-hmm. that's easy and that's what's happening with this model minority with, myth. And I think Hassan Minaj does a good job of like bringing this up and being like, this is exactly why we can't stay silent when mm-hmm. people are literally being killed. We cannot just stand at the sidelines as we have in the past. Yeah. Yeah, Any type
0: of discrimination that we face is tenfold for the Black community mm -hmm. because of this narrative. Yep. You know, you can argue, and we are in no way saying that brown people do not experience racism in this community. Exactly. At the beginning of the pandemic, we saw, you know, hundreds of cases of hate crimes against Asian Americans in this country.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that is not. This is not us saying that that was okay because it wasn't. But to argue that, oh, I experience racism too, but you mm-hmm. don't see me, you know, yeah. marching in the
1: streets, that's not a valid argument. Yep. It, it really isn't. And I think that it goes back to what some of the comments we received, like, oh, like South Asians have it hard too. It's like, well, realistically, if you're looking at income gap, if you're looking at education gap and like police brutality. it so clearly disproportionately impacts black American M- American. So it's truly, like you said, Sonia ignorant for us not to speak up. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, I I've talked to my parents about this too. And it's the whole, like at least my parents, what they say is the whole immigrant narrative. We come here, we do our job, we shut up, we live with it. And I think we have both the privilege and the duty as like first generation um, South, Asian Americans, or just like children of immigrants, even just to speak up. And like, you know, we can take space. We can be loud. We can get angry. We can stand up for other groups and stand up with, I should say, for other groups um, because we we can't just sit at the sidelines. We really can't.
0: No, and you know, you mentioned that narrative as well of the immigrant narrative. Mm-hmm. I, I'm an immigrant. My parents are immigrants. Mm-hmm. You know, there is this ideology and this like narrative that gets perpetuated and first you know it for good reason that yeah the good immigrant comes does their job pays their taxes and Mm -hmm. continues yep but recognizing that that ability to simply do your job to simply pay your taxes and to simply like just live with no issues is the result of Years and years and years of black civil rights movements. Yeah. In addition to this perpetuated wedge between us Mm -hmm. and these years of oppression, and to argue that, you know, I'm a good immigrant, I came here, I'm working really hard, and to not acknowledge the, you know, the obstacles and the barriers. In the way of Black Americans is also ignorant. Yeah. And so another thing that we recommended in that first post of like, how do you talk about, you know, anti-Black rhetoric with your parents is talk to them about the roots of racism Mm -hmm. and how they stem from colonialism. So, you know, going back to like India, Pakistan, when Pakistan was originally part of India, um, basically, any South Asian country cool, that was, yeah. yeah, you know, taken exactly. over, taken over by the British, British colonized South Asian countries. You know, we see this perpetuated ideology that white or fair skin is superior, mm-hmm. um, and there are parallels of how colonialism instigated colorism in both black and brown communities. However, in the case of Black America, that colorism. Results in death.
1: Yeah, and I think it's super important that you bring this up, especially because it's like we've talked about colorism here before. But what's more important, and we didn't mention this in our in our original guide, but um, I think we put some stories out there. We've tried to make this as clear as possible. Like colorism is an issue, yes, in our in our culture, in American culture, and whatever. But it's so important for us to yes recognize the ways that colorism in our community and um, with the BLM movement, how they do have parallels, but also just understanding that South Asians have to be super careful and not co-opting this movement. You know, like I, um, I know Sonia and I were talking a lot about just a few weeks after everything on social media was like strictly about BLM and we weren't really seeing um, much else, which is good because everyone should be paying attention to this. But we were seeing a lot of South Asian people in our communities, in our circles coming out and being like, you know, colorism's bad and like fair and lovely and this and that, which is like, okay, sure, valid, but this is not the time. Um, And just making sure that South Asian folks are not taking center stage, are not co-opting this movement, because like we said earlier, a lot of minority groups face, or or almost all minority groups face um, discrimination in this country. But we, once again, would be ignorant to, you know, put our issues or whatever at center stage. And it's super important to focus on Black lives because our country hasn't historically. And um, and if
0: you want to look at it from a perspective of like, oh, what about me? Like, if you really want to take this perspective, then if you want to claim that colonialism and racism have negatively impacted us as a South Asian community, then it's also our responsibility to stand up and ally with others who are being oppressed and you know, discriminated against. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't, why would they? Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, like, I don't, I, I wish we had been a little bit more careful in our, in our wording when we mentioned it in our original post, because I remember having this conversation with you then as well, that our, our point wasn't, oh my God, colorism.
1: Yeah. Like, oh, it impacts us too. It, like that wasn't the point. That wasn't the
0: point. The point. I think yeah, it was, exactly. how do we make this digestible for our parents? Yeah. And I think that got misconstrued and I, I wish we had been a little bit more careful in that, but it was really interesting to see like the response afterwards. And yeah. we've talked about Seema Hari on this podcast before. Absolutely love, love her. her. <laughs> and she is a prime 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 activist spokesperson against colorism exactly and she oh, i i loved this post i'm going to read a little bit from it uh, mm-hmm. she said dear south asians don't hijack the blm movement to further your own agenda this is not just about colorism colorism feeds anti-blackness in our communities but the main issue is that Black lives in danger at the hands of the racist systems we live in, at the racist systems we have in place in our society. You cannot talk about BLM without talking about defunding the police. You cannot center skin lightening as the only thing you talk about when you talk about anti-Blackness. And that's unfortunately Mm -hmm. what we saw. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between, I also want to make this clear, that there's a difference between having a conversation about colorism which is important yeah but using blm as the kind of catalyst for that conversation and for that to be the only conversation that you're having
1: yeah because to only mention colorism is to ignore all of the other things like the institutionalized racism that impacts black americans all the time um and I think Sima Hari does a great job of also mentioning, like, by centering colorism or focusing so much on it, like it's it's very much just diverting the energy from BLM. Um, so yeah, I think that was just another thing that we wanted to bring up because it was something that um, we got some feedback on from our post. Um, so of course we had to talk about this um, as South Asian Americans. Yeah, and you
0: know these were the initial conversations we had at the end of May, beginning of June, throughout June, and we were thinking about it, and we started to see, you know, a lack of momentum on our feeds, and, you know, this, this conversation started of, like, okay, how do we keep up this momentum, and we were, like, okay, how do you keep up this momentum within the Daisy community, so we mm-hmm. made another post, um, which was specifically called keeping the BLM momentum in the Daisy community, and we talked about how, you know, we're in this for the long haul. Racism hasn't ended yet. And nope.
1: and, and it won't
0: for a while, which it is won't why for we got to be in this.
1: Exactly. For the long and haul.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we're in this for the long haul. Our conversations shouldn't stop here and we need to continue this conversation within the desi community, specifically with uncles, aunties, our parents, people mm-hmm. older than us because again, back to this idea of this echo chamber. Yeah. You know, you and I may agree and have the exact same, you know, ideology, but if the people older than me who also have voting power, who also have power to make change, yeah, aren't talking about this, then we're doing a huge disservice, not only to ourselves, but to them.
1: Yeah. And so when we put out the first post, we like put a little... Here's a template on what to text your or what to put in your family WhatsApp. And we were really excited to see that a lot of you resonated with that and it really helped get the conversation started. Um, I know for me, I put it in my WhatsApp and I had conversations with my parents. And something that came up a lot, and even like my parents, my extended family, was okay, why aren't they doing peaceful protests? Why are there riots? Like, why are things being set on fire? And so definitely we wanted to focus on this, and, and we want to urge you all to think about this too, especially when you're talking to your family members about um, the difference between quote-unquote peaceful protests and riots. Um,
0: yeah, and so, you know, police response to begin with was very, very intense and continues to be intense. Not that this is, you know, should be anything surprising, unfortunately, but... Mm the response we saw from police at these protests was absolutely absurd mm-hmm. and think about it in may at the very beginning of may we saw protests by people who didn't want to wear masks anymore <laughs> yeah. and they were at city hall at yep. the capitol with assault rifles yeah. no masks in the middle of a global pandemic. And the police did not do a single thing. And then two, three weeks later, George Floyd is murdered and people go to the streets and protest. And I will add here peacefully because I think this matters in this conversation mm-hmm. because people are going to bring this up. That yeah. In the beginning, they were peaceful protests. Yeah. And the police came back with rubber bullets and... um like tear gas tear gas, yeah. tear gas. and oh my gosh it's it's so frustrating because we knew that was going to happen yep. and black people have never had a space to protest in any way without being demonized for mm. it take Colin Kaepernick for example mm. this man kneeled how many years ago during yep. the pledge of allegiance and is still being villainized to this day has yeah. lost his contracts so you don't want black people to shout you don't want them to you know march in the streets you don't want them to kneel and silently protest mm-hmm. what do you want them to do yeah what is the purpose of a protest mm-hmm. let's start there you yeah. know it's to provoke to call upon the people who are make who have the power to make yeah. change and to tell them that something is not right hmm If everything was fine, people wouldn't have to protest. Yeah. So think about, like, I just think peaceful protest is such a juxtaposition and, like, an oxymoron. Yeah, exactly. Because isn't the point to call to attention that there's an issue? Why would policymakers, lawmakers, businessmen
1: care if you're walking outside with a sign? Mm -hmm, Exactly. And I think we did a... a I think something that we uh, mentioned on this post is like India didn't gain independence purely through nonviolent protests like my dad likes to bring up Gandhi, but there's so many other people who were leaving out in this conversation, you know, and you, you have to recognize that peaceful protests are not the only answer. And I think another thing, at least my dad, when I was talking to him about this was like, Oh, how about those looters and like, even Trump brought this up on and he was like the looters and blah, 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 blah. And Another thing that is important to mention is like there's all these third party folks who are coming in and once again co opting. Um, they're like, oh, there are protests, there's riots, whatever. Like let's go and like you know cause a ruckus, start start fires, do this and that. And it's important to recognize that looters and peaceful protesters are typically not the same people. Um, and uh, I remember seeing this on the news, and there are all these looters or whatever who were coming from like radical left groups or white nationalist groups who are infiltrating the protest instigating some of the looting and seizing the moment to cause chaos and to kind of get that reaction out so it's just important to kind of separate that um and understand that by and large like this these protests are not aimed to like wreak havoc. Um, and I think that was a big thing. I checked out, um, there's this amazing New York Times article we also put on Loudmouth Ludgis about the Gandhi Mahal restaurant in Minneapolis. Um, and pretty much the owners of this um, Indian restaurant were kind of mentioning how, you know, we, we understand why our business got burned to the ground. Like, this is shitty. Like, this is really frustrating. And we tr- they tried with peaceful protesting and it hasn't been working. Um, people are angry and that's okay. Um, which I think was something important for us to realize. Um, when we had these conversations about peaceful protesting versus riots.
0: Yeah. Another thing that we talked about, which we really wanted to address because it was gaining a lot of momentum at the time and still is, was defunding the police. And how do you have that conversation with your parents? Because Sapna and I were talking about it during this time and we're like, how do we start this conversation with our own parents, let alone create a guide to help our listeners talk to their parents? And, you know, while I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, as they see as we, we may see the police as good, but that's not the case for many Black and Indigenous and people of color. The police come into poor communities, which are more often than not are Populated by minorities, by black and brown folks, they're not helping. You know, reform historically has not worked. One in four people who are killed by the police have a mental illness. 21% of police time is spent responding to mental health crises when they aren't trained to do so. I'd like to point out that police only have to go through six months of training in order to become a police officer. I am going to be in school for another five years before I even get the opportunity to take a licensing test. Yeah. To treat people.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think that's huge. I also, like, just anecdotally, I was with a friend when um, the police were talking to her and she was in a a mental health crisis situation. And, like, I just remember how poorly they were interacting with her and, and just how, like, humanizing and like kind of rude and harsh it was and you know this is a separate conversation for another time but I think it's important to recognize this defunding the police movement the abolishing the this um the police movement a lot of that comes from there's so many other areas that need funding homelessness mental health crisis um drug abuse emts you know and these are other direct ways that we can provide Um, for safety and for a lot of these things that we call, we typically call police officers for. Um, There's this book called The End of Policing by Alex Vitale, which I think is a great read um, that goes more into decriminalizing mental health. And we want to bring this up because we know our audience is interested in mental health. Um, And yeah, and so police officers aren't often trained in uh, these areas, which is why, you know, let's look into other alternatives. Who are other people who can, bring our com- or who can make our community safer without bringing in the police who often disproportionately impact um, black and brown folk?
0: Yeah, um, simply country. because of the, the nature of their job, yep. you know? Um, and then on one of the other things we also talked about in that post was intersectionality. And we talk about this a lot in our podcast mm-hmm. and have continued to because it, it's huge, you know? Yep. It's not just one identity. We don't have just one identity. And the intersection of identities plays a huge role into how an individual experiences something. And yep. we wanted to address how different identities played a role in Black Lives Matter. So, That's you know. Exactly. LGBTQ plus folk, BLM,
1: feminism, how can we approach intersectionality? Exactly. And, you know, intersectionality, Kimberly Crenshaw um, kind of pinned this term to, to talk about how race, class, gender, and all these other characteristics um, intersect to give people different experiences. And of course, um, on this episode, we wanted to acknowledge how um, Black women, Uh, LGBTQ plus folk obviously experience BLM and police violence differently. And, you know, specifically when it comes to
0: feminism, there was kind of, I guess, like a branch of BLM that was about, uh, say her name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And recognizing that Black women are also impacted by police brutality and are more often than not left out of the conversation. And I've seen... So much literature about this since then. And I think it's such an important conversation because, you know, there's this trope of the strong black woman Mm -hmm. and this expectation that black women are supposed to be, you know, invincible. Yeah. Um, And I think that takes away from the fact that, you know, black women are experiencing, you know, black women and girls experience the compounded traumas of. Racism, sexism, leaving their mistreatment structurally
1: invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, Brianna yeah. Taylor, for example. Yeah, no, it's so frustrating because we wrote this post like way back. Um, I think early June, mid June, or something. And since then, um, if you've been online since, like, you've noticed that Brianna Taylor's name has been completely memified, and you know they're making TikTok dances about her. They're putting memes about her name, and it's like once again time and time again black women's pain is not seen as legitimate which is beyond frustrating um which is why we wanted to like in- include this and olua um who also like her name was just not mentioned um and and once again like highlighting the importance of um gender uh bringing in gender and sexuality it's it's just you cannot not mention that in this conversation. And we also wanted to bring up LGBTQ plus um, identities and Black identities and how those intertwine. And we will be talking about this more in future episodes. Um, But just simply recognizing that transgender folks are seven times more likely to experience violence at the hands of the police. Um, And compounding that with being a Black
0: trans person. Yeah. You know, we have Tony McDade, Nina
1: Pop names that we don't even know yet. Yeah, too many names. And it's it's beyond frustrating. Um, So always in this conversation of BLM, we have to think about intersectionality and how um, police violence and racism affect different groups more than others. And why it's
0: important to recognize that changing the way our society is built right now to help those who are discriminated against only helps society more as a whole. Exactly. You know, and so we really wanted to spend this episode and I guess end this episode by talking about how it's important as South Asians to stand in solidarity, to continue these conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if it's by understanding our historical roots and how anti-Black rhetoric has played into, you know, our benefit. And recognizing our privilege there or whether it be simply the understanding the history of the police in this country yeah how they came about what is their role in society today how increased police presence is correlated with higher arrest rates Mm -hmm. and higher murder rates by police Mm -hmm. and just recognizing you know we have a job to do black people are tired we are in no way saying to speak for them but we are saying speak and stand by them
1: mm-hmm.
0: and amplify their voices yep everywhere and anywhere you can thank you so much for listening to this week's episode
1: of loud mouth Larkies. you can catch a new episode next week on spotify apple podcasts and anchor A huge shout out to Colors of Roshni for
0: the beautiful episode artwork this season, DHK Designs for our amazing logo, and DJ Nubia for this bomb soundtrack.
1: Feel free to follow us on Instagram at loudmouthleadkeys or shoot us an email at loudmouthleadkeys at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts and we'll see you next week.